Welcome everybody to the January 10th session of Chat with the Designers. This is your host, George N2APB, along with co-host, Joe N2CX. We're here for an online weekly session that we hold every uh, Tuesday at this time for the purpose of technical interchange, questions and answers with various designers that we have in the QRP and homebrewing community. This week is week number three of a project that we've been we had previous uh, sessions on for homebrew filter design and, and measurement techniques. The first session, two weeks ago, we worked with designing a filter to certain specifications, overviewing the component selection, some of the tools available to us was done in the second session. And actually building, hopefully, if anybody's been following along with us, you've built up the LPF, the low-pass filter, and it's now ready to uh, actually measure the filter. And I don't know if it's evident to those of you who are on board here, who are listening along after this in the form of a podcast, but Joe and I have a lot of fun relative to the work that goes on in between the sessions. And for the last week, for example, we've our low-pass filters um, built up, and there's photos of this on the previous session notes, and you see pictures of that and the design tools and everything that I said. If you go to that link and then go follow the links to the previous weeks, this week, we're going to be measuring what we have and getting everything on the bench working just right and all the measurement equipment and seeing just how the collected data compares to the theoretical data that it should be at was a real interesting adventure. Now, I, I've got a number of years of doing this kind of stuff under my belt. I don't have the, the world's best uh, RF test bench. I'm not the world's best technician. But I've, I've been using this stuff for a number of years. But every time I do a project here, and especially with Joe, who is uh, who's really quite a whiz at this, he, he's able to point out things to me I either didn't notice before or didn't understand. And just this exercise of measuring a filter's output, you know, squirting a signal to the input of a filter, and then looking at the output with various devices is extremely instructional. And actually seeing the data, seeing the curve, you know, the plot that results from uh, such a measurement, it's really quite eye-opening and, and, and exciting. Many principles were reinforced. Other principles were learned or learned better. At the end of the day, I ended up with a filter that works. I know it works because I measured it. I understood how to measure it. And equally important, and this is something that we're going to really be discussing tonight, equally important is that I'm learning and remembering the limitations of my measurement equipment. Sometimes uh, you, you feel that if you if you're armed with a DVM and a diode detector, you're able to conquer the world in RF terms and measure anything and everything that you do is just hunky-dory and accurate to, you know, 15 decimal places. Well, it ain't quite so. And understanding the limitations of your equipment, when to use one piece of equipment, one meter versus another meter, is all part of the experience of, of using some of the basic test equipment tools and equipment and techniques that we've either encountered or used or read about, you know, over the years. That's the, that's what we're going to be discussing tonight. And if hopefully you have that web page up in front of you, uh, the simple block diagram on that web page is, is what we're going to be discussing. We are injecting an RF signal source into the input of a, a five element low pass filter, an elliptical low pass filter. And then we're going to measure the output and plot it. And, of course, graphical representation of data is very illustrative and, and very eye-opening of the device's performance that you're actually uh, measuring. 
So hopefully I've given you a chance to dial up that web page, set the stage here a little bit. What we did is we approached the measurements in two ways with two sets of equipment, two different configurations. And at this point, I'm going to toss it over to Joe, N2CX, and maybe take it from here for a little bit and just kind of describe our test setups and what we, what we did, why we did it. And then uh, I'll come back in and talk about uh, some of the results that we got as well, along with Joe. Uh, so, Joe, take it away. All right, very good. Thank you, George. Thank you for the uh, intro uh, to set the stage, so to speak. And indeed, as uh, Clint Eastwood said, uh, a man's got to know his limitations. And you get your nose rubbed in it uh, pretty quickly when you try to do some uh, RF measurements and, and try to compare them with the theory, with what you think should be and what the equations tell you they should be. It is a learning experience. As George alluded to, we had a couple test setups. Indeed, the uh, the basic setup is to have some sort of RF signal source fitting the uh, filter under test and then something to measure with. The one setup we had was a Micro 908 antenna analyst in the VFO mode, where it's a, uh, a uh, uses a, uh, a DDS chip inside to generate an RF signal, and you can control the frequency of the of the DDS, and it outputs actually, strictly speaking, through a uh, reflectometer or resistive bridge, but it looks like a 50 ohm signal generator for our purposes. And then, and so that provides the RF signal source. At the other end, we had the precision RF detector we've been talking about. It's a board that has been discussed in previous sessions. It uses an analog devices AD8310 logarithmic detector to measure the RF. It's terminated with a resistor on the input, so it looks like a 50 ohm source, provides a DC output. The DC output is proportional to the RF input, and it has a, it, it operates over the range of um, something like uh, plus 10 dBm, which is on the order of a, uh, a volt RMS, down into the um, lower reaches of perhaps minus 70 or minus 80 dBm which is down in the uh, millivolt uh, range, down to a, a tenth of a, there are 100 microvolts or so. And the, the slope of the DC output to the RF input has a uh, calibrated scale factor to it, approximately 24 millivolts per decibel. So that if you increase uh, the RF input by one decibel, the DC output increases by a decibel. Similarly, if you decrease blowing this, if you increase the RF output by one decibel, the DC output increases by about 24 millivolts. Similarly, when you decrease by a dB on the RF input, the output decreases by 24 millivolts. And that's an approximate number. And in what we did, we didn't calibrate that exactly. We didn't calibrate the input the levels exactly because we wanted to see what was happening. But anyway, that was one setup where we had for signal source using the uh, Micro 908 with its DDS, and our RF detector was for this precision detector, which is to be part of a project called the uh, Sweeper. So we, we turned the, uh, the detector on its little board with proper connections, and the detector chip and other bypassing and resistive components, we call it the Sweeper input card. In addition to this DC output on this sweeper input card, we have a 12-bit um, analog-to-digital converter that allows us to um, convert the, the DC level to a digital signal. 
which can be monitored over a couple data lines. And indeed, the uh, Micro 908 has been uh, software has been modified to uh, look at this digital data line so that it, it provides a, a means of measuring the output of this uh, input card. It does some computations and then it prints the, uh, the DC output on a screen on the Micro 908 screen. So as you're tuning the across the band, and you can see the uh, RF frequency that gen the uh, signal generator is tuned to, and at the same time on the screen, you can see the DC output. So then you can log them manually, and you have both ends of the measurement range. In the future, we're going to have both software for the uh, Micro 908, and we're going to have under computer control a processor that will operate a, a DDS60 and uh, use this uh, sweeper input card as an RF detector, along with a, a display, so it can graphically display amplitude versus frequency. Hey, Joe. I think you used a really good analogy of it last week, and you called it the poor man's spectrum analyzer. Indeed. Yeah, I wasn't going to get too deep into it uh, at this point, but yeah, the, the net effect is that it's, it's like a poor man's spectrum analyzer. The ability to sweep the frequency of the, the direct digital synthesizer under computer control, you do it either manually or automatically, and at the same time to monitor the output graphically on a display connected to the processor, you, you in effect have a, the equivalent of a, a poor man's spectrum analyzer where you have a sweep generator that sweeps in frequency and then along it, with it a graphic display showing the frequency and the amplitude so that at a glance you can tell the response, for example, of a low-pass filter. We're not quite there yet, but um, that's the end goal. The setup we use here was uh, doing it manually, where you you know you read the RF uh, frequency off the display and the DC voltage off a uh, uh, off the the micro 908 screen. And indeed, I think George is going to discuss it a little bit later. He cranked the results into a spreadsheet, and uh, uh, so that you could see what was happening and did some additional computations to convert this back to. Uh, back to a dB, so that we get a, a frequency versus dB uh, uh, manual scan of the filter. Setup number two was a, a little more traditional uh, means of measuring a filter in which uh, a fancy HP8640B signal generator was used to uh, provide the signal source, um, which is a very stable commercial device. Uh, when it was new, it was uh, several thousand dollar instrument, but it's a very stable instrument with a calibrated output, calibrated into 50 ohms. So it's a very good device for doing this, but it's, uh, it's awfully expensive and it's not something most hands would have around the shack. Um, on the measurement end of the, uh, of the second setup was uh, the uh, KA7EXM micro wire, which is a um, a device again using the the analog devices, uh, one of the analog devices log detector chips, along with a microprocessor, and it provides a uh, a display of the uh, uh, of the RF input signal to it in terms of the DBM. So it's a uh, it's capable of being pretty well calibrated. It's a very handy source. It's a more traditional means of uh, measuring RF power. Um, so this was kind of a, a control to compare the, the setup number one 
with our uh, DDS 60 and uh, on the sweeper input card to uh, do the test. And now I think I'm going to turn it back to George and he's going to talk about uh, the actual tests themselves. Go ahead, George. All right, Joe. Um, as I was, uh, I was quickly trying to look for the the KA7EXM web page that we had documented uh, some weeks ago, but I wasn't able to do that. But anyways, I hope I hope everybody can see the data that we have in the column for setup number one and the setup number two. What we did is collected man we manually dialed up the frequencies on I on both. The micro 908 and the uh, HP 8640B, so as to know that we have very accurate readings on the for the frequency, and then of course we took the readings, the data readings from the board, either from the LPF into the micro 908 and the SIC card for the left, and as Joe said, into the Precision RF power meter on the right, the KA7EXM. So collecting the data was as simple as going down on the left-hand side for the full sweep. What it did was take a data measurement at every 1 megahertz point from 1 to 20 megahertz. Now, of course, knowing that this is a 7 megahertz filter, we designed it. The specifications were, were such that it would roll off starting at 7.3. And by the time we came to the second harmonic at 14 megahertz, it would be some 40 dB down. You can actually see in the column under that's that's blue, the heading of attenuation, A-T-T-E-N, you can see that uh, at 14 megahertz, we exceeded our design specifications. It's 52 decibels down from the passband, and that's on the full sweep. So you can actually see that both the blue for the, the Micro 908 and the SIC card, as well as the HP8640B plus the microwatt meter, the red column, both of those are in the in the ballpark of uh, 52 decibels, so we really indeed did uh, exceed the design spec. Why is that? I don't really know. Maybe Joe can comment then on that in a, in a little bit. But understand that the design tools are are probably uh, quite theoretically based and based on the uh, differences in the actual components that I used and that Joe used in the constructing the the low pass filters. That it probably is a good explanation for the deviation from empirical, the measurements, to the theoretical, the plots that we did last week from the design tools. Actually, just as a good example, the toroids were specified respectively at 18 turns and 17 turns, as I recall. After I wound my toroids and I put them onto my LC meter 2B from AADE, almost all electronics LC meter, I found that the the inductance was uh, too great, so I had to back off the number of turns. And essentially, then I was assuming in, that the LC2 meter was was the accuracy that was driving that, that's going to drive the project. And for good or bad, that's what I did. So I had to take off the number of turns as compared to the number of turns that were specified in the design tools. Similarly, the capacitors that I got might not have been the absolute most close to the target number of 36. I forgot what the the components were, but one capacitor, for example, was 36 picofarads. And I know that I didn't have a 36 puff cap. So what I got was a 33 puff and I put a 3 a puff three in parallel, parallel with it. So that got me closer to the actual value, maybe that, that it was intended, or maybe it didn't. 
nonetheless, that's a, an area for deviation from what the design is. Many times when we're building projects on the bench, we, we go with that gut feeling. You don't have precisely the right value or you don't have the right tolerance a component. Well, you can say, well, it's good enough. It's good enough for, uh, uh, in, in at work, we sometimes say it's good enough for government work or sometimes it's good enough for our hand bench. And, and as uh, subsequent tests can verify it, as we have done with this here. So... We see that uh, if you look in, if, if we look at the, the charts of data, the black, blue, and red columns, I just wanted to explain, if you happen to be following along and doing this on your own, for, for setup number one, looking at plot number two, full sweep. On the left-hand side, it should say plot number one, full sweep. Uh, you see three columns, a number of columns. The first one, of course, is the megahertz column. I collected data then into the RF volts column. That is the reading that came directly off of the Micro 908 that was reading the SIC card, the precision voltmeter card. Now that is a voltage that representing the, it's the logarithm of the actual RF voltage being sensed on the input of the log amp. So what I did was um, I converted that to essentially decreasing steps, uh, values of, of decibels. So Referencing the blue column, we started at 0 dB at ever, whatever the first reading was. In this case, it was 2.6920. I called that 0 dB. And then going from there downward, just referencing that first reading and whatever the second reading was or whatever the third reading was, reference to the first reading, showed the difference in decibels from that first 0 dB reading. And that got us the, the blue column. The red column was from the picture on the right, where we use the 8640B and the microwatt meter. If you're familiar with that uh, KA7EXM watt meter, it reads output directly in, in decibels. So you're able to take the readings from it. Unfortunately, it was only to one significant digit, just a limitation perhaps of its internal A to D conversion and, and measurement subsystem. I think we experienced a little bit of, for example, uh, the first reading might have been 0.85 or 88 if we had the visibility of that second significant digit in, in a decimal field. We didn't know. So it's just, it is what it is. Then we plotted the data, you know, for the same points using the two different techniques down in the in the chart below. I color-coded the, the lines, of course, according to the data columns above. The blue line is the Micro 908 plus the, um, the SIC card. And the uh, red line was the, uh, the precision signal source, the HP8640B, and uh, the microwatt meter. I think, generally speaking, our assumption was going to be that the, the more accurate reading was going to be the 8640B and the, and the microwatt meter. Not as much in as just because the equipment was more expensive or, or more or, or bigger or whatever, but there are two factors that really are driving the accuracy of, of the measurement techniques. And this is what Joe is going to get to as soon as I, I finish up here in another moment. The signal generator on the right, the, the 8640B, outputs a very precise level of signal injection to the device under test. That's a very important factor for determining the exact values being read from the output of your device under test. With the DDS60 being used as a generator inside the Micro 908, it's not quite as uh, solid as the uh, the more expensive 8640 
signal generator. It's more convenient and it's simpler and, and more straightforward, but it's not quite as, as uh, known accuracy and it, its characteristics, its uh, internal resistance, if you will, its internal impedance that is feeding the device under test is a little bit different than the signal generator. So as a result, we feel that probably the red curve is going to be the more accurate representing the, the circuit that's being measured as compared to the theoretical results that we were looking for. And then if you look down a little bit, if you look down to the, the last row, which says theoretical from last week, you see the full sweep column, and this is the one on the left, where you see the two notches that we talked about. John um, had indicated, had brought that to our attention as far as the notches being created by the LC, the parallel LCs in the filter. We feel that the red lines, the red plot, the red data is more accurately attempting to track that particular uh, theoretical curve with the notches. Whereas with the blue line, which was the micro 908 feeding the, uh, the SIC card, that blue line didn't really show that, that bump. And I think that is because it's really down in the noise. That's that's pretty low signal, minus 50 dB. So that's uh, down at the low end of the the signal detection range for that particular board. And other factors that might be affecting the signal measurement of the log amp are could be taking effect and or just not being able to uh, register properly. There are some things that we think that we'll be able to do to uh, to improve that. Shielding is one of them maybe some other filtering on the power supply, who knows. But in this case here, the general shape is correct, yet the red the red line, the 8640B signal generator, probably is is a more accurate representation of the of the circuit's performance. On the right side of the charts, of course, again, is the close-in at roll-off performance. Joe really pointed this out to me where it's a good thing to show, kind of like taking a magnifying glass and zooming in on that knee. For example, on the left-hand curves, you see the sharp knee happening about 8 megahertz, which was, again, intended, uh, that's the intended, the expected results from the design. Well, if you zoomed in on that area between 7 and 8, you actually see more clearly the circuit performance at the design frequency. As I recall, it was 7.3, I think was the uh, the knee. So we can actually see the curves starting probably about 7.4 megahertz, starting to bend down in the cur in, in the plots on the right-hand side. And again, that, that was not only reassuring, uh, real data comparison to actual, uh, to, to theoretical equations, but the actual circuit was operating properly too. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a combination of everything that, that verifies what we've been doing. Again, the, the blue line and the red line correspond respectively to the micro 908 and the signal generator. The red is the signal generator. And here, where the signal is higher level, essentially have, we have more signal to operate from. So the SIC card, the log amp, on the our precision reference, uh, our precision RF volt, uh, detector, has more data, has more signal to work with, and we feel that it uh, not only tracks well, but is, is, is just about as accurate as, as a signal generator and that precision microwatt meter. So we see the curves pretty close together, and I was pleased to see that kind of, uh, that kind of performance. When we zoom in on the right, of course, uh, with the right, 
the close-in of the passband uh, roll-off, we actually see some of the ripple that occurs in the passband from 7 to 7.4. If you see some of the, of the data going up and down, some of that is noise, admittedly, but it's also representative of the ripple that is seen at any given instant in time uh, for ripple through the passband. So I think that's probably uh, another verification of, of what we had thought we were going to get in, in the theoretical session from last week. From the data chart above that, in the passband at roll-off, you know, on, on uh, where it says plot number two close in, it was the same technique for the 908, what 908 in the SIC, we took the raw measurements at RF volts and then converted that to attenu attenuation, arbitrarily saying that the first first data point was 0 dB and then going down from there. The right-hand chart, if I recall right, uh, with the, H, uh, the HP8640B and the microwatt meter, I have a column that I labeled direct. That was the actual direct reading. So in other words, that dB right there, minus 1.1 dB. So I either had to live with the, cur the red curve being 1.1 dB below the blue curve, and then just understand that well, that's just the way that the absolute value of the numbers was uh, was taken. Or what I actually did is I adjusted up the microwatt meter reading by 1.1 dB so as to correspond to the data that we were comparing it to on the blue side there with the, uh, with the sweeper input card, the log amp. So the 1.1 dB just was just shifted up and that became the 0 dB that's represented as the first item in the red column. So that's just a little bit of a clarification on that data. But even so, of course, you see that there's a little bit of a difference in the readings. And at the moment, I'm just at a loss to explain the approximate 0.2, maybe 0.2 dB difference. And maybe Joe will have a comment on that in just a moment. So anyways, that that's kind of, I mean, in a nutshell, that that's it. What we did was we built the filter, and then we used two techniques to inject signal into the input of our filter and measure the signals coming out. Understanding what the signals were, we were able to represent them in dB and then plot them and uh, respectively shown on the left-hand side for the full sweep and the right-hand side for the, the passband to show the filter's performance. I think as a, as a, as a general conclusion, uh, preliminary conclusion at any rate, for the sample of one or two that we did for this, is that the data indeed correlates to the theoretical values and where the plots deviate from each other or from the expected theoretical, there's somewhat of an explanation that we have that can, it can actually uh, account for uh, that particular difference. So I think at least from our perspective, actually going through this, and maybe at some point you'll, you'll get a chance to do this yourself, you know, taking these steps and, and actually seeing how theory corresponds to to reality on the bench, you'll be able to use some techniques that, that we did here. At this point, let's take a pause. And a lot of information has been, been talked about here. And, and uh, maybe I've mentioned something that isn't clear to you, or maybe I said an inaccuracy that you... Yeah, George, I was just wondering uh, how important it is to... Uh to bypass the um, um, uh, voltage reference uh, pins on the uh, A to D converter. Um, I noticed on your uh, uh, SCI chip that uh, 
they, uh, you, you've got a voltage divider uh, supplying the voltage reference, but uh, but no bypass capacitors. And I'm just wondering if it's important to do that. Um, I don't think so. I mean, it's always good practice to put bypass capacitors on there to take care of any kind of noise. When I'm thinking of it and have enough board space, I, I normally like to put like a 0.1 microfarad capacitor on and then maybe even uh, like a, a 0.01 as well, just to make sure that I catch some of the different frequencies of noise that might be present. Now, the A to D converter is, is dealing at DC level. This is why it wasn't overly of a concern to me. Uh, point number one is that the RF is at the other end of the board um, than, than where the A to D converter is. Um, also, the, A to, the log amp itself that deals with the conversion is very well isolated, or at least it's as good as I could do it. Uh, using a lot of Joe's recommendations, we, we took extra precautions for routing of signals and shielding signals and bringing signals into and out of that protected area inside that ring, that ground ring, and ultimately we'll have a shield can on top of that too. So long story short is that the um, at the A to D end is just DC and it should be pretty quiet. I didn't uh, feel it was overly necessary. However, that said, I mean, maybe that's the source of some of the uh, signal variation that Joe and I did see at the low end of the signal measurement range. Not necessarily from a reference standpoint, perhaps, but just from a filtering standpoint in general. Um, and something that maybe I can improve on next time. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. Um, I, I just noticed in the Micro 908, the... Uh, um, uh, the DDS60 is pretty close to the HC908, and uh, on the HC908, the uh, uh, voltage reference is not bypassed. And uh, I, I did it; I bypassed it on mine, and I noticed a little bit of a difference, anyways, so some improvement. Okay, that's good to know. For everybody's benefit here, um, Ken um, works closely with Joe and I over on the Micro 908 uh, project, and. And we've been keeping him apprised of our progress with the SIC card, this precision RF uh, detector card. And Ken's seen the, the schematic and, and such, so that's the nature of these questions. But it's really quite relevant to everybody on here, so I think uh, uh, that was a good comment. Thank you, Ken. Any final questions before I turn it over to Joe as far as measurement, data, resolution? By the way, just as an aside, as far as talking about the data, the data that was collected from the... Um, our log amp, the SIC card. I had first given Joe some sample data that only had one or maybe two significant digits after the decimal point. He had mentioned that, that we should get more. And I didn't realize, at least at first, that having more significant digits was really of importance in a log amp design. So when I did provide the four uh, significant digits after the decimal point that actually provided a much greater granularity of the data <clears throat> when it was plotted and it was kind of a little bit of a lesson learned there you know one of many for me in, in this particular exercise all right joe um well why don't you take it over and maybe if you can uh maybe if you can recall some of the corrections that i needed uh, that, that in my explanation that you can offer and also, I think I pointed out one or two areas where you could contribute to, to my explanations overall. Go ahead. Yeah, very good, George. I have been taking a couple notes. I, uh, I did one again in a couple things. 
some of the inadequacies of our setup. Uh, not, not being critical to George or to me, because it's both of us, but uh, the press of time uh, sometimes means you've got to go out and do measurements when you don't have things uh, exactly as you would finally wish uh, them to be. Uh, first of all, using the, the Micro 908 as a signal source uh, means that we don't necessarily have a uh, an exactly controlled 50 ohm uh, source impedance for the signal generator. I'll talk about that a little bit uh, somewhat later on, but the uh, basic idea is that it was it was using an available port on the uh, on the micro 908 uh, analyst uh, output, and uh, it's not exactly a necessarily a 50 ohm source. So that could certainly affect some of the readings. Uh, also, as has been stressed several times, we don't have a shield on the uh, SIC. Uh, over the, the sensitive RF detecting areas of the card so that uh, it indeed is uh, potentially noise susceptible. We've taken pains, as George mentioned, to uh, try to uh, control everything within within the area where we're going to have a shield box. And we've gone to such, uh, such pains as keeping everything that is sensitive inside the box and indeed also having uh, a number of vias spaced around the area in there so that the top and the bottom ground planes of the board are, uh, are at the same, uh, same potential. Um, however, uh, it is without the shield still susceptible to some noise pickup from the outside world, both in terms of uh, the DDS chip itself or the uh, uh, log detector chip itself and potentially the uh, A to D converter. So we did notice that there was some signal uh, bounce. Uh, when we did successive readings um, of the same data point, we noticed that um, there was some, some bobble in the readings on the digital side. So that indeed uh, there's some, some noise that uh, has to be taken into account. And potentially, when we're running the thing under software, we might be able to get rid of some of it by taking, for example, 10 readings in succession and averaging them to try to, to uh, get the noise uh, out of the way. Uh, also, the, uh, the SIC was not calibrated. We were using it uh, kind of bare with no uh, calibration for any um, uh, potential frequency uh, uh, amplitude of sensitivity with, uh, with frequency, and we did not calibrate the scale factor for it. So. Um, what we intend to do in the uh, successive uh, improvements is to do some sort of calibration to provide a calibration procedure for users to try to take some of this into account, particularly in, in terms of a uh, given uh, test procedure so that uh, we, can, we can get rid of the, uh, or we can calibrate out some of the inadequacies. And, and as George pointed out also, a lot of the, the noise in the readings is the fact that uh, we're reading close uh, in the, in the uh, narrow-in suite, we're reading close to the resolution of the instrument. Uh, so just the normal digital bobble, if you're reading to within a tenth of a dB, uh, you'll have bobble in the readings inherently in any instrument uh, of plus or minus the resolution or plus or minus a tenth of a dB. So it's not at all uh, unusual to expect the, the things to bounce around a bit. 
We are very close, and uh, I think it's going to work well. One of the other things I intend to do um, as we get going is, um, in terms of, of getting the filters on frequency, um, it's a bit of a, a difficult process when you're manually taking a series of data to then go back and tweak components and make another run to, uh, to look at what's happening to the filter response. I noticed that um, George was uh, adding or removing tears from the storage. I noticed that, uh, as expected, moving the turns on the toroids closer together or farther apart affects the, uh, the straight capacitance of toroid, which uh, in turn affects the uh, apparent inductance. Well, squeezing them, doing another run, spreading them apart, doing another run is time consuming and it's difficult to keep track of. When we do get the instrument to the point where we have an automated sweeper that gives us a uh, a graphics display as we're working, it'll be much easier to uh, squeeze the turns of the toys together or spread them apart to get instant feedback on, on what affects the readings so that uh, we'll be able to home in on things a lot uh, uh, a lot better in uh, real time. Um, I'm going to take a break and give it back to George, but I think that uh, that, that hits the, uh, the accuracy and uh, and intended improvements uh, part of the discussion. Just to kind of elaborate a little bit more on um, an aspect of the calibration, it's, as Joe indicated, really important to understand that, and, and I guess as uh, Bruce indicated too, it's, it's under, not just understand the limitations of your equipment, but understand, um, well, I guess that's it, to understand the limitations of, of the equipment. And here, with the way that we deal with um, delivering a signal to the device under test uh, using the DDS60 card, we uh, Joe had specified um, three separate calibration techniques or procedures that, uh, when implemented, should be able to account for signal roll-off of the DDS, any variations of the DDS frequency, level versus frequency and uh, generally provide a good enough signal source of, of calibrated nature that we can use the results that are, are um, measured uh, with a little bit more confidence even though it is a lesser um, expensive or a less elaborate type of uh, setup as compared to some uh, some others ways that could be the procedures that we the, the algorithm if you will and the, and the calibration procedures, we're going to provide that with the SIC card in the SIC card kit that we'll have probably uh, available before the end of this month. Uh, to answer Paul's question from on the text, um, we're, we're going to be also introducing it inside the Micro 908 as, uh, as an optional card. And some of those calibration uh, techniques and procedures are going to be implemented in the Micro 908 software such that the data that it uh, ultimately displays from its precision RF uh, detector are going to be uh, useful right out of the box. Um, those same calibration procedures could be implemented in um, a PC that is being used to uh, input the, the data from the SIC or to drive the, the one that drives the, the, the DDS-60. 
or any other controller, any other microcontroller <clears throat> that happens to be implementing the SIC. Uh, Joe's alluded to um, something, an instrument called the sweeper. This is another thing that's in our vision that we're working on right here on the bench. That I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It happens to be Arduino-based, implementing the same calibration algorithms and outputting not just to a uh, not just to a text display such as it was shown with a micro 908 but to a graphical display such as we use on the new PSK modem and the SDR cube it's a 128 by 64 pixel uh, screen nice blue screen that um, working through the the driver package now that's showing plots of of this roll-off. Uh, it'll also show plots of SWR and complex impedance when that is ported onto the Micro 908. So at the, by the end of the day, which might be by the end of the month or the end of the quarter, at least for the Micro 908, we'll be able to actually see this kind of a curve plot on the Micro 908 as a result of its measurement through the SIC of RF voltage. Uh, but that, that's kind of like where we're going with this, and uh, just one of the projects here on the bench. But wanted to indicate that there were calibration steps and, and things that needed to be accommodated in, uh, in the proper usage of some of the different measurement sensors that we have uh, along the way. Alrighty then, that might really put, a, put an end to our overall, the mini tutorial that we had intended to present here for low-pass filter design. And in it, of course, uh, we designed a filter that may be practical and useful for anybody if you were to build it now or a little bit later following the notes that we have on the website, not just to build it, but also to analyze it using some of the tools and such that we've discussed along the way. And then once you do build it, of course, you can measure its results and maybe tune some of its performance relative to what you wanted to, to be able to do. That was the intent of this mini tutorial. Hopefully you found this information useful. To kind of recap, or to, 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 to kind of cap off some of the highlights um, or special notations that we wanted to make, uh, Joe and I were chatting the other night, and he was rattling off some things, and, and we sort of decided that, geez, this, this, you know, these two or three points might be really of interest and of value to people as they're actually considering the kind of equipment that they're that you're using to measure some of the factors that we as designers bring into consideration for uh, each of the designs that we do do so we put that um, at the bottom of the web page it's called key concepts if you kind of go down below the charts we've been talking about and uh, Joe maybe if you want to take a few minutes and go through those charts and explain what what you were trying the points they were trying to get across Sure, will do. I'll uh, get a little tutorial here. Uh, indeed, uh, the measurements we're doing, the measurement techniques we're doing are uh, are common ones uh, done in industry. They uh, have a lot of, uh, lot of uh, basic uh, theory to them. I'm not going to go into the theory, but we'll, we'll talk about um, the impact of uh, the import of what we're doing. Uh, and I want to, uh, I want to do things a little out of order in the notes. I want to first, uh, if you have the notes, uh, look at the other part of the web page that uh, has a little figure that says maximum power transfer. It's a very simple figure. It has um, a generator and a load, 
and in this the generator is a, a battery, DC battery, and uh, uh, which is not to say there aren't AC batteries. I've actually seen one uh, in a uh, an R&D lab, and uh, the generator also has an internal resistance here, uh, RG, uh, as any practical power source does. And the load uh, is indicated as resistor RL. Now, as you as uh, current is applied through the v, the power source to the load through this uh, uh, generator resistance, of course, some of the power is dropped across the resistance, and there is a a, uh, a theorem that uh, is well documented. You can do uh, a Google search on it, but at any rate, the bottom line is in this <clears throat> in this situation in this setup. The maximum power transfer occurs between the power source and the load when the load resistor equals the generator resistance. Doesn't mean an awful lot in DC, but if you replace the uh, <coughs> this DC thing with an AC source, uh, something like the DDS60 or the 8640B, and you have which indeed has an internal resistor. 50 ohm resistor, so it is a, an instrument that's intended to work in a 50 ohm system. And then if you load that with another 50 ohm, with another load, let's say, the maximum power transfer occurs when the source resistor, resistance in the generator, and the load resistor are the same. Um, and in general, for resistors, that works fine. Uh, if you're talking about uh, complex impedances, it really means that the they're conjugately matched, which is a big, big, uh, big phrase. But basically, it means the uh, the generator uh, internal impedance and the load impedance are the same. Uh, and the uh, test equipment is built on this basis that it has a very precise internal 50 ohm impedance, and it's intended to work in a matched 50 ohm system. And you get the uh, the maximum power transfer when you have those impedances matched. Similarly, for example, the 8640B, there's a meter on there where you could set the output level. The output level that reads on the meter is not the internal voltage. It's the output of the generator when it's terminated in 50 ohms. So if you terminate it in any different resistance, it's not going to produce the power that's indicated on the meter. Okay, going to the next figure. It's a dual figure. There are two two things very simple. Um, it's a I call it the substitution method of testing. Top part of the figure shows an RF signal generator which has an RF voltage source inside, a 50 ohm resistor in series, and then that's connected through a 50 ohm coax directly to an RF meter. The RF meter also has a 50 ohm uh, resistor in it, impedance in it, uh, and indeed this is the uh, starting point for doing measurements. You know that it's matched and you're going to get maximum power transfer when the whole system is 50 ohms. So now if you want to test something like a filter to test the insertion loss, what you do then is to replace that 50 ohm coax uh, between the generator and the, uh, the RF meter with the filter. So that then anything you measure is what you will see in a 50 ohm system. Um, if the filter has roll off, 
if it has attenuation in there, that's due to the internal components of the filter having either uh, inherent loss or some sort of mismatch to 50 ohms so that the power is not transferred through it. Uh, insertion loss in band, where you want the signal to go through, is due to, uh, in large measure, it's due to the wall synth components and to some extent to, um, to some reflections. Out of band attenuation is caused by a mismatch, intentional mismatch of the filter, uh, not giving a good 50 ohm uh, match to the system so that it rolls off the frequency. And that's the basis of the, uh, the testing we were doing, where you're doing everything at 50 ohms, and uh, indeed, uh, when you have low loss components and everything is in band, you pass all the energy. When you're out of band, um, it's the mismatch of the filter that causes the uh, uh, causes the, the attenuation of the signal. Kind of to that point that you're making right now, do you recall and, and do you recall when I was trying to determine when I had exactly zero dBm output from the signal generator, and then I ultimately discovered that I did. Uh, you can actually see that um, that the meter reading that you were describing. If you blow, if one clicks on the photo of the 8640B and look at the meter that's shown along on the left hand side of the instrument, you would see the lower scale that's uh, it essentially says zero. The, the needle is uh, centered on zero dBm, and that is happening when I had. Uh, uh, precisely that value going into the 50 ohm load of the uh, um, of the low pass filter, I guess it would be, of course. So, and, oh, and it was also when I was uh, just measuring it going into the microwatt meter as well. But you can actually see that point illustrated. Indeed, yeah, <laughs> and and the point is that uh, that is the meter reads what uh, the output will be into a 50 ohm load. The point of the whole thing with the substitution method is that if indeed you have an RF signal generator with a good 50 ohm source impedance and an RF meter with a 50 ohm load impedance, um, you can do insertion loss measurements uh, very easily um, without having to worry about uh, too much else. Some of the calibration we're going to do with the, uh, with the sweeper will take into account some of these inadequacies so that uh, uh, you can treat the whole system once it's calibrated as if it were exactly as in this diagram. So that uh, um, in my way of thinking, it's the value of ignorance. Setting things up so that you can ignore what may be inadequacies because you've calibrated them now. Um, that's all I want to say about the substitution method of testing. Uh, let's see if anybody has any questions about that or about the setup before I go into my very final topic. Yeah, I see. Uh, I see Bruce has uh, said in the text portion Google Feminine theorem to read about maximum transfer principle, power transfer principle. Yes, indeed, that is very good, and you can read up on it. Okay, my final topic is yet another use of the um, the sweeper components. Um, we've, we designed it originally as a network analyzer, simple-minded network analyzer. Uh, and there are other things you can do with it, however. Having a, a good signal source um, 
controlled signal source with known characteristics and a uh, precision detector. Uh, my uh, diagram, the final diagram in the uh, presentation, shows uh, DDS-6 as a signal generator coupled to a tuned circuit through a very small capacitance, one to two picofarads, and uh, uh, also coupled to the precision RF detector with another small capacitance. This gives you the ability to, to measure Q. It has been mentioned in several of the W7ZOI um, books that he's written, uh, and indeed uh, on his webpage in addition. Coupling a signal generator and a, uh, a, a signal measuring source to a tuned circuit this way gives you a, a means of injecting power and, and looking at what's happening with a parallel resonant circuit uh, without affecting the characteristics of the tuned circuit much. The basic idea is when the parallel tuned circuit is resonant, it, it provides a high impedance. So that it passes most of the energy through those two capacitors uh, between the generator and the precision RF source. And you can vary the uh, tuning either of the, the uh, signal source or the capacitor and see the resonant characteristics. You can see a peak of the resonant frequency and the fact that the energy rolls off on either side. So if you resonate this thing um, and then vary the frequency a little bit offside to one side or the other, you can see the minus 3 dB points, the areas where the signal goes down to uh, 3 dB below the peak level. Now, this is a very simple equation um, which looks at the difference between the, the high and low 3 dB points and then divides them by the, uh, the frequency where the signal peaks. And this gives you the Q of this uh, tuned circuit. So let's actually me measure the Q uh, of a resonant circuit. Um, most of the time, if you use a decent capacitor, the capacitor Q is such that uh, you can ignore it. Uh, and what you'll be measuring then is the Q basically of the inductor. So that then based on this, you can tell the loss of the inductor. This can be done either manually by, uh, by going through manually adjusting frequency and uh, looking for the 3 dB points, or if you have an instrument with a processor in there, such as the Swipper will eventually have, uh, you'll be able to set the thing up to a peak, and then the sweeper will re-peak itself so it knows exactly the center frequency, and then it'll tune down to the low side where you get the 3 dB point, and then to the high side we get the 3 dB point. It'll take those three readings and then calculate the Q and display them for you. Uh, and a further wrinkle, something you can do in addition, is knowing the values of those capacitors, you can actually then determine the equivalent loading of the signal generator and the, uh, the uh, RF power meter so that you can calculate that back and uh, work backwards with the Q equation and get the, um, uh, you can calibrate out the loading of the test equipment and get the actual Q, uh, Q value. It's a relatively simple way of making a, uh, uh, a poor man's Q meter with, uh, with a simple instrument and a uh, fixture that's not too complicated, which is just one of the, uh, the other additional uses that uh, we're looking for to uh, 
Seven, the bag of tricks for the sweeper. Uh, another uh, poor man's uh, RF test bench uh, feature. Uh, any questions on uh, on this Kiwi fixture? I thought this I was thought a really neat. Uh, I thought this was a really neat circuit. Neat circuit. And is there any special requirement, requirement? specification, or uh, accuracy of accuracy. the capacitor CV in doing such a measurement? Oh, indeed, yes. Uh, I didn't go into any of the practical details. There are other practical details. Bill, I think your box is kicking there. You're keying the mic. Uh, I can hear feedback. Um, yeah, the capacitor itself needs to be uh, a capacitor with, uh, with very good dielectric. And uh, it would be very handy to know the uh, capacitance, the actual capacitance, and to make yourself a dial. You could use an instrument like the AADELC meter and uh, make yourself a uh, homemade dial and indicate for, um, a, indi have a, a rotary uh, scale and a pointer on the capacitor so that you could, uh, you could show what the capacitance was. You measure it and, and uh, mark off the scale yourself so that uh, it would make the instrument even more usable to, uh, to know with it. Um, given frequency of the resonance and, uh, and the dial capacitance, and you know what the inductance is. Uh, does that answer your question, George? Sure does. And I see another another measurement coming out of the, uh, the Micro 908 as a result. Thank you. I'm just wondering if uh, all this is running on the Arduino, or is it running on the Micro 908? Well, the uh, <laughs> actually, it'll be both. We uh, we figure the our, the um, the sweeper uh, a self freestanding instrument would uh, use an Arduino, but the same features uh, can be incorporated using the uh, using the SIC card in conjunction with the uh, with the 908 uh, with appropriate software for the 908. Uh, same function with uh, both the platforms. So that brings us to the conclusion of tonight's session, actually. And as I said a moment ago, but I'll repeat just real briefly, this concludes a three-part mini-tutorial that we had intended to do in covering the, uh, the low-pass filter. And in it, of course, designed a filter along the way, learned some tools that um, were quite instrumental in using in, in developing the circuit and its components, and discovered some measurement techniques, perhaps, that if not rusty, uh, maybe entirely brand new, and also kind of invented a a poor man's uh two port what, what did bruce say it was a two port uh um a two port measurement an s21 uh two port measurement device a, a poor man's sweep generator and a little bit a little bit of a preview as far as what the sweeper is going to be looking like that uses this rf precision detector the sic card um, and also in the micro 908 so lots of discovery along the way. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. And we'll open up here just for one final uh, round of questions, if there are any, and then we'll, we'll call it quits for the night. Any uh, any final questions for tonight? Might there be more? You mean many tutorials? Yes, indeed. This is Paul, WA0RSE. Well, if we find that they're useful, Paul, I think the answer would be yes. Um, in fact, if you'd like to contact and, or talk about it now or contact us offline, 
you know, we can gear some future discussions to the topics maybe that you would like to, to hear more about. We've got some ideas up our sleeves, nothing that we're really kind of fleshed out just yet. Next week, we may have a, um, a, um, a guest presenter, as it were, talking about a topic that's near to his heart, and it can be an exciting thing, and we'll preview it on the webpage, much as we've been doing every, uh, before every session here. And then Joe and I, when we get a next, when our next chance uh, comes to it, uh, we think that we're going to be um, focusing on antennas, some um, uh, an overview of antenna types, characteristics, popular configurations, advantages and disadvantages of each. So antennas are near and dear to everybody's hearts, and uh, as are some other things. So we think that'll be our next session. As we uh, as we go on in time. We've got some ideas for follow-on mini tutorials, something that gets into technical, good technical detail like this, that maybe would be of interest to uh, to many. And again, we do these things because we're they're of interest to us, and we just kind of assume that if we we find interest in it, then then others will tune in here. Hopefully, you share the uh, uh, you share you spread the word about this, and and maybe draw some of your friends and colleagues and other list members over here. Again, it's been only an hour and 15 tonight. It's only about an hour or so every week. It's not overly taxing and uh, maybe instructional and, and inter interesting and helpful along the way, too. Okay, thank you all for attending the session of Chat with the Designers. Again, this is George N2APB and Joe N2CX, your hosts. And uh, we thank you all for showing up tonight. And again, feedback to us if you find some way that you feel would uh, improve this particular um, program, the, the session, uh, either in presentation or in length, duration, topic, whatever might be specific for you. Really appreciate you uh, coming here tonight and supporting us. And uh, I can speak for Joe and myself that it's really quite fun from our perspectives too. Good night all. 73. George, quick question. Yeah, I just wanted to know when the uh, Micro 908 is going to become available again. Good question. It's going to be, and it's quite appropriate for this kind of a uh, of a session. Um, I'm really hoping that it's. Uh, I've got the next kidding that's on the the ping pong table right down here in the basement. Um, all the kits are out, all the parts are out, and going through the kidding process. I'm hoping that I can get them all together um, for at least the next run of 100 kits. That'll be available before the end of the month. Um, it's intended that we're also going to have the SIC card available as a kit, a workable option in the Micro 908. And as somebody asked before and Bruce answered, yes, it can. the SIC card can be included, um, added onto any of the uh, previous vintages of the Micro 908. Okay, great, George. Well, thanks for the information. Yeah, I, that's you asked me earlier if I built, built it. The filter I did, and then I'm sitting down going, well, I'm going to have to come up with a solution to test this thing on my home bench, and I don't really have a good solution, so um, I like what you guys did with the Micro 908. Anyway, thank you, George. Thank you, uh, Joe. You guys did a great job, and I'm looking forward to the next time. Well, thanks a lot for the feedback, Chris. Really appreciate it. And don't let, uh, don't let lack of equipment uh, stop you from kind of proceeding with your adventures. I think it's sometimes easy to whip up some circuits that will get you into the ballpark and at least verify that your designs are working. And in this case here, whether it's an SIC card or um, an RF voltmeter, 
if you can get your hands on that uh, on a surplus market or even um, take some care in writing and in, in whipping together a uh, an RF probe for the end of your uh, your DVM as illustrated in a bunch of different circuits it'll get you down to a certain level of uh, attenuation but at least it'll it'll show you the, the pass band and some of the roll-off so good going thanks a lot